That's your t-shirt now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Hello, how are we guys? Doing well, how are you? Good. We have special guests today. We're doing a little uh, little easygoing show down in San Antonio. Today we have Mike from Sons of Liberty. Welcome back. Number two, right? Yes, second one, man. Not a lot of fun the first time. This is a good show. And then we have Adam from FPC Firearms Policy Coalition, which is one of the premier leaders, I believe, in the 2A space and defending our constitutional and God-given rights. So thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, I want to deep dive. So like, I've known you guys now for, I mean, how long have you been talking with FPC, Mike? Uh, for a couple of years now. I mean, F- Fire- FPC is the premier uh, firearms rights organization that we, you know, we lean towards, you know, so you know, everybody knows we're pretty outspoken about stuff. So these are the pit bulls, <laughs> I think, in the industry. Yeah, I, uh, it's been at least three, four years, I'd say, since um, you and I started talking. Uh, I've been there about three years, so I, I want to say it's about the time I came on, you and I started having conversations, and maybe yours predates that with the organization. Yeah. When So how did you guys kind of start? Like, wh- who who founded it? Why? And then can you just kind of, if you have a little history of just what yeah. you guys do to kind of you know, educate the audience, it'd be sure. awesome. Absolutely. So FPC started in 2013. Uh, It was a couple guys that were not very happy with how the gun groups in California were handling things in California. And, you know, they sat down in a garage and said, we can do it better. Uh, So it started out uh, with some appearances at gun shows, things like that, educating the public. And from there, it really snowballed and and built a following and a rapport uh, with these individuals who wanted to be more involved with um, advocating for people's rights and against oppressive governments. Uh, so as as time went on, the programs built, the staff built, uh, the public uh, understanding and knowledge of the organization itself built. And I would say around 2017 is where it really started to um, more on a national level become more recognized as just as, outside as, of the state level in yeah, California. As, as the, just okay. being like kind of constrained to California. Um, and I started working with FPC as outside counsel back when I was practicing law in private practice uh, around that same time frame, 2017, somewhere in there. Uh, and we represented the organization in the comment uh, in uh, opposition to the bump stock uh, final rule uh, or the proposed rule at the time. Uh, and then as far as uh, being counsel for the actual litigation, which is still ongoing at this point, but that was the first lawsuit in the nation challenging that final rule. Uh, we filed that a couple hours after it was signed. So, um, you know, as as time went on, it went from California to being more national. More states were being involved in what was being sued or who was being sued, uh, and you know even the federal government. So it's been an interesting ride in a fairly short period of time. Is actually the tagline FPC? No one's safe. <laughs> Everyone gets sued. Kind of, kind of right. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting because you guys kind of came on my map about two years ago, and I hadn't heard really anything about it. And then over the course of probably the last year, I've I've been you know following you guys and getting educated on what you actually do. And I think Mike and I were kind of talking about that before this, but there's there's a good place for a lot of other organizations, but you know their battle plan and uh, is a little different than than yours. And I think that there is 
we live in a, like a litigious society. So having lawyers that can sue back and do all these things to protect us is, is absolutely phenomenal because there's kind of right two sections within FPC, right? What, what are those? There, so there's, there's more than two, but yeah, you kind of have it broken down. So more broadly speaking, what the way I'd say it's broken up currently anyways, you have grassroots advocacy. So us getting our members involved, you know, sending email campaigns, things like that to their representatives. Hey, do this. Hey, don't do that. Um, we have some direct advocacy that we do where we go into states and lobby. So most recently, the permitless carry in like Ohio, in Texas, uh, and I'm going to blank on the other states, but there was at least five states that we had a direct lobbyist on the ground in those states doing lobbying with the legislature. Uh, and then, of course, the main thing, the thing that we like to talk about is the legal program and all the uh, lawsuits that we do. Uh, based on, you know, uh, politicians stepping out of line, really, or laws that are on the books that we're looking at going, okay, hey, we can challenge this. Here's a, a path to success. So um, I was brought on board uh, to help kind of build out this legal program with two other individuals. Um, and that that started, COVID happened. It kind of threw things a little out of whack uh, in the sense of we were working on planned litigation and then all these shutdowns happened. So we went, you know, kind of into overdrive, just suing everybody over the shutdown. So gun stores, uh, ranges, things like that. Um, and then... Well, you weren't suing gun ranges, right? No, no. We, 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 <laughs> we were suing... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair, fair, fair clarification. Yeah, no, we were suing governments. We're suing gun... What? Yeah, we Get were, out the show, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were suing governments for the shutdown yeah. of, and you know, the health orders that did all that stuff. Um, and then after that kind of, uh, and sheriffs too, for not issuing uh, carry permits, that was a big yeah. one. Uh, so we had, you know, there were sheriffs in North Carolina um, that were not issuing uh, pistol purchase permits, which you need to purchase a gun or a carry permit, which was an exception. Wait, hold on. You need a pistol purchase permit? In North Carolina. To yeah. buy a pistol? Yes. What? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. We, yeah. Sorry, I live in no, Texas. Yeah, I love you live in a different world, right? So New Jersey, here's another one. They have the same thing. You need a firearms uh, owner ID card to be able to purchase any kind of long gun. And then they have a separate ID card to be able to purchase a pistol. New York, pistol purchase pistol permits. Um, and we'll circle back to this because yeah. these are things we're challenging. Cool. Um, so you had those, uh, the city of Philadelphia, their uh, gun permit unit in Pennsylvania, it's the county sheriff that issues it, except for Philadelphia, uh, as far as carry permits are concerned. In Philadelphia, it's the gun permit unit, which is part of the Philadelphia Police Department. They notoriously uh, would delay, deny applications, make it an arduous process. And that was, uh, they shut down their gun permit unit completely at one point for, I want to say it was two, three months during COVID so that nobody could even apply for a license to carry. And uh, the state of Pennsylvania was under a state of emergency. And if you look at our law, the the quick synopsis is if you don't have a license to carry, uh, generally you can open carry in Pennsylvania, but under a state of emergency, that's all suspended unless you have a license to carry. So these people were left without an avenue to, uh, you know, utilize their rights. Uh, that was another lawsuit we brought during that time. Um, the, the point where I was trying to drive with this, and I apologize for taking so long to no, get please. there, <laughs> no, no. was that after, after all this COVID stuff happened, we went back to our strategic litigation plan where we had really kind of set the stage as to, this is the world we want to live in. These are the chess pieces we think we can move to advance the, the right in these areas and started implementing that. So if you look at the areas and, and it's on our website, um, but there were really kind of four main areas that are going off the top of my head that I can recall anyway. Uh, the first is people's ability to access the right to just be able to, to purchase arms. So you have purchase pistol uh, 
purchase permits were being challenged, the types of bearable arms. So the assault weapons ban uh, in California, for instance, and we can come back to that too. Uh, 18 to 20 is a very big one for us. Yeah. Um, so I volunteered to be a plaintiff on that. Yeah. As far as a commercial operation that our business is thwarted because, you know, we can't service customers in that age range. And so they were, I, anyways, the point is, is, these guys, when I, whenever I describe the FPC, whenever people ask me, hey, how do I get involved? What can I support? I talk about FPC. It, they are like the way the ACLU used to be whenever it was just a, a legitimate civil liberties organization. And, and this just happens to be that y'all's focus is 2A, right? I mean, and it doesn't matter the plaintiff. It doesn't matter that. If it's a 2A violation, if someone is violating somebody's 2A right, regardless of the circumstances, not like some political, uh, it's not a left-right kind of thing. It is a legitimate civil liberties thing. These are the the uh, the assassins, man. These are the guys that go in and get it done. It's awesome. Yeah, so the, uh, and, and you did uh, volunteer for that. So the 18, <laughs> the 18 to 20 stuff is something that's close to home for us because... Hey, listen, Uncle Sam threw a machine gun and an AR in my hands at 17 years old, so I'm pretty sure you know where I stand on that. Right. <laughs> uh, so you have 18 to 20 just general purchase restrictions that um, a lot of states have been implementing, especially more recently. Uh, and then 18 to 20 carry restrictions, same thing, right? Well, if you can't access the right in any capacity. The, the, the right is the right to keep and bear arms, not just keep and not just bear. So those were things that we were looking at across the country. Um, the the plaintiff stuff, since Mike touched on it, I might as well just run there real fast while I'm Please. thinking about it. Um, the, the biggest thing in bringing these lawsuits is finding plaintiffs and qualified plaintiffs. So what we'll do is when we identify a lawsuit we want to bring and the jurisdiction in the air and the, and the particular venue we want to bring it in. And so what I mean by that is, um, say the state of Texas, here's a really good example, right? Uh, Texas 18 to 20 carry, not, not a permissible thing. So we look at the state of Texas and we say, okay, um, that's where we want to challenge the law in federal court. Generally speaking, in most states, you have more than one district. Some some states like Delaware, for instance, it's so small, there's only one district. Texas, for instance, there's four. So you have like the Northern District of Texas, the Southern District, Eastern, Western. Within those districts, you have different uh, divisions because those districts are so huge. So I, I don't know how many are in the Northern District, but there's, there's at least four. Um, so when we're looking at stuff, we have to drill down to like, okay, this is the division within the district we want to be in. And then these are the counties where the plaintiffs can come from. So a lot of times this actually constrains where we can find people. And then when you start really like, you know, 18 to 20 year olds, it becomes more difficult right off the bat because yeah, you're 18 to 20 year olds yeah. and <laughs> they're hard to find sometimes. Right. Um, so the the biggest problem or, or uh, resource or, or way people can help us is finding plaintiffs. Um, we screen all of them to make sure they're good to go. But finding plaintiffs is really like everything else. Without a plaintiff, there is no lawsuit. So we can want to do a whole number of things. But if we don't have people that are willing to uh, step up and volunteer to be plaintiffs, it, you know, it's just a moot point then. So that's interesting. I had, I had no clue. And that's mainly because you need like a qualified individual to like on their side, say why this lawsuit should make sense and why it should. Which right of theirs has been violated, yeah. right? I mean, they're, so they they're need the to vehicle. Be, right, really. exactly. 
So. I feel like I'm in a, in a college class right now. I'm, I'm <laughs> loving this. Hey, school's in. I got all day. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting too because I think a large, at least in, from my lens, is there's so many, the media spins so many stories. I mean, if we look at what happened yesterday, the, um, there was a shooting in, in uh, Indiana and none of the headlines that I've been reading discuss in its entirety that a, at least not some on the right, but a concealed handgun license, legal, legal, everything stopped an active shooter. And it's like, that should be the discussion well, point around it. Please, Mike. Well, I was say, so I did read Shannon Watts uh, tweet about this. Did you see this Adam? No. <laughs> she said that, uh, you know, a mass shooting stopped by a 22 year old person illegally carrying a gun should not be a victory for the second. I believe uh, while he was a legal gun permit holder, I I think he was still in a gun-free zone, which oh, thank God he was, dude. Right? I mean, first of all, the idea of a gun-free zone certainly didn't stop the original assailant, right? And thank God that there was somebody there that that carried despite that, because that's exactly what stopped the original assailant. But there, I think the reason why they're uh, it is it's a little bit cloudy is because I'm not sure he was supposed to have a gun in that circumstance, but I'm really glad he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know the details surrounding it, so I'd be lying if if I did. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, like preservation of life should should trump all, in my right. opinion. Now, it's not a legal opinion, just so everybody's clear, right? Like laws You're are such laws. a lawyer, I love yeah, it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, mean, I just say whatever comes to my head, and half the time it's fucking it, stupid. It so. depends, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, and and that's there there's the million dollar thing like people who say you know I'm going to carry in a in a place where it's illegal for me to do so. Well, like that's a if you take an informed uh, approach to it, like that's a risk you take of, you know, what happens if you wake up in the back of an ambulance? Uh, you weren't expecting to be in that car accident, but now you're in the hospital and now you're looking at jail time. Like, you know, and everybody makes choices right, wrong or otherwise. And I'm not here to say do one thing or the other, but you know. A lot of the stuff is at the discretion of that district attorney and stuff too. As I have heard of incidences where somebody absolutely justifiably uh, shot a home intruder uh, like in New York, mm-hmm. and then that homeowner was prosecuted for having an unregistered handgun that was willed to him by his deceased father. Oh yeah, this. And I mean, that guy. I'm pretty sure was successfully prosecuted too. Now the prosecutor could yeah. have easily have chosen not to to pursue those charges, but this is a real thing. You well, know, you look at all the people that go from uh, accidentally they cross into New Jersey from Pennsylvania. Or they they carry a uh, they have a firearm with them. Um, some of the people who have gone to New York that you know they're permitted in Georgia and they they don't know the law, but they think they're doing the the right thing and they disclose, hey, you know, I am carrying a firearm. And the next thing they know, their life's turned upside down because they are being prosecuted for crossing an invisible line. Now, yeah, we'll we'll see with um, the Supreme Court decision, which we can talk about, you know, more. But we'll see with what results of that and the and the case law that comes from that how that shifts this this paradigm of these invisible lines. And, you know, if you have a permit here, is it good there? So on and so no, forth. Yeah, being up there in the Northeast, it's easy to miss your exit and end up in a different state, you know, trying to get back on the highway. And then if you find yourself in New Jersey, each individual hollow point round is a felony. Holy so if you're carrying crap. weapon that is completely legal in Pennsylvania and you missed your exit and you had to, for two seconds, end up in Jersey on your way back to turn around. Uh, you know, you might have 19 felonies in your magazine. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's like the, because I keep up with most of the stuff as much as I can, but you know, I have, a, I have a busy and active life and 
that's what I, I feel like a lot of this stuff that's trying to get passed was this point system. Isn't that there's something about like a point system that they're trying to push, but it's just confusing to even a guy that's in the gun space all the time, whether or not if you put a foregrip on something and then all of a sudden it turns it from a pistol into an AR and I'm a felon that those for me are just an absolute attacks on you know, law-abiding citizens because it's confusing. And I, I don't see how that, it doesn't save anybody. I'm not going to say I don't see, it fucking doesn't do anything other than put law-abiding citizens at risk and to your point to be like disclosing to a law enforcement officer, hey, I have a pistol in here. And then the, for some reason you cost state line and now you're a felony, a felon, you're going to jail. You don't have, you're not the father figure in your family anymore. I mean, yeah. my God, like, can we? It's real. It's crazy. It, it is crazy. Do you think some of that will be discussed after the Supreme Court decision or? So the, well, let's talk about the Supreme Court Please. decision. So the, the Supreme Court, um, as I think probably everybody watching this probably knows, recently decided a case, New York State Rifle Pistol Association versus Bruin. And that was a case where individuals from New York uh, had applied for uh, carry permits. And New York has this requirement of, had a requirement, I should say, of good cause. And there's a couple other states that have this. And almost Nobody can show that they have good cause. Simply wanting to carry a gun for self-defense is not good cause. And in fact, a lot of these states, even if you could show that there were threats against your life, it wasn't good enough. Like there had to be some immediate uh, thing. And that's how strict they were with these. Or it was um, issued by privilege. Like if you knew the, if, right. you, if you were buddies with the sheriff or if you were right. a donor politically, you got to carry. But it, yeah, as the, far the as average, legitimate. Yeah. It, wasn't, so, it wasn't objective. It was completely subjective. Yes, so, correct. absolutely. Yeah. It was so, a privilege. Right. Yeah. And so this, the Supreme Court said, yeah, okay. First of all, they're um, like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. The, this right does extend outside the home. You can't have this subjective requirement there. The court, in its opinion, did uh, potentially say that you know things like training requirements or um, permitting fees, th those probably are constitutional. Remains to be seen, right? What we're going to see is a bunch of these states implementing new regimes to kind of comply with the Supreme Court decision. And we're going to find out through litigation, I suspect, you know, okay, is that permit fee of $150 excessive or is that acceptable? Is eight hours of training, you know, excessive or acceptable? Uh, where does that line get drawn? And the other really important thing that came out of this decision that I would just want to hit on real quick is um, since Heller was decided in 2008, the Supreme Court in Heller said the text you need to apply to Second Amendment, or test rather, that you need to apply to Second Amendment cases is the text of the Second Amendment as informed by history and tradition. And so as the, the years wore on, all of the circuit courts, the court uh, of appeals that are above the trial courts, but below the Supreme Court in the federal system, um, they all, except for one, developed a two-part test. The first part was, does this law implicate your Second Amendment rights? And then if it does... The next thing is, okay, well, what level of scrutiny do we apply? And the, the real quick breakdown on scrutiny is there's three different levels that are generally applied. The lowest level rational basis, the court said not acceptable. So it was never considered. Um, strict scrutiny is a really high burden and the uh, government interest has to be compelling. And the way that they tailor the law has to be very narrow to further that interest. The next level down, which is the level that the court almost always applied, was intermediate scrutiny. And there needs to be a, uh, you know, a substantial government interest, but that tailoring requirement is much more broad. And so almost always the courts would say like, yeah, it, it, it implicates your Second Amendment rights, but the government has an interest in its 
tailored enough to to meet constitutional scrutiny. And so, you know, we would bang our heads against the wall going, Supreme Court said text is informed by history and tradition and you're screwing up this test. Well, good news. Court came back in, in this last decision said, for the past 13 years, you guys have been screwing this up. It's, um, you know, the test is text as informed by history and tradition. And what that's going to do is, uh, first of all, with a lot of cases that are currently being litigated, they're going to get remanded uh, back to the courts that they're in and perhaps back down to the trial court uh, to be analyzed under this lens, which means that the history at the time of the founding is going to be most important because that's when the, um, the, the time period the court said is how this, this lens you're viewing it through is. Um, so just because, I don't know, turn of the 20th century, you have a lot of carry restrictions being implemented uh, the court said that's not relevant. That's not how the people uh, understood the right at the time it was adopted, which is the relevant time frame. So if you want to say that there's this longstanding historical tradition that's been over 100 years, that's all well and good, but it doesn't date back to when when we were founded as a country. Um, the other thing is for new challenges, uh, it's going to be great because it's a very seemingly straightforward test, right? Uh, and the court said, is there a historical analog that exists at the time of the founding. So for any of the laws that are being challenged, the burdens on the government to show that at the time of the founding, there was a historical analog. It doesn't have to be an identical twin. It's got to be close enough. So um, I don't know, you know, if we, if we said like uh, alcohol uh, and, and drinking and, and possession of firearms. Well, if you can't go back into history and show that there was a more than one, like a few laws uh, at the time of the founding that said like, okay, if you're a drunkard, you can't possess firearms or what have right. you. Um, then it's Whew, not going <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to withstand constitutional scrutiny. So really in theory, it should open up the door for a lot more uh, litigation and, and a lot more laws being found not to be able to stand. And and so what was the genesis of of that, right? Wasn't it because an individual wanted to obtain a firearm to protect themselves, right? Is this... Is- uh, th- so this case was about two individuals who wanted to carry firearms in New okay. York and they were denied their permits by the issuing authority. Okay. Yeah. And then that that's... And they just said... So, yeah, I mean, that the, the court said... Uh, to answer your question, yeah, good, fair question. Uh, the, the court said that the permitting process in place by New York is not acceptable with the good cause requirement. What New York has done, what California has done as a result of this... Um, they're working on uh, changing the permitting schemes within their states. And the other thing that they did uh, was they also passed laws or are passing laws that say, okay, these are the areas in which you can carry a firearm. This is what I'm wanting to ask you about. This is what I was really happy to have have you here to talk to you, ask you. Right now with this uh, clear victory, I think, in the Supreme Court, right? But what New York is doing to respond for my friends up there, they're making it to where businesses have to explicitly invite you yes. to carry a firearm on their premises, which I can tell you does not go over well. You know, to, you have to explicitly, we want your gun in our shop. Nobody wants to put that sign up, you know? So how, how, how do we fight that? How do we address that? All good questions. So <laughs> um, that, that is, in fact, what they're doing in New York. New York uh, specifically said pretty much like everywhere is now a sensitive place. And yes, it, it, rather than um, how it is here in Texas, where you have the, what is it, the 30 signs, where it says you can't. In New York, it's a permissive, we have to post a sign and you can. So if you walk into a place that doesn't have that sign, presumably you're in violation of the law. 
Now, what we're doing is we're, we are currently looking for plaintiffs in New York and in California to challenge any of the new permitting requirements that they're putting up, as well as these sensitive places uh, that in, in, in signage and things like that. So that's all stuff we're looking at and, and actively seeking people for. That's interesting, right? Because it's like a social identifier that people think differently than you, like New York being predominantly liberal. And if there's going to be people that probably don't want to frequent your business because you're obviously oh. pro 2A, it's just, it's so weird, like the social implications of a lot of, a lot of these laws and how they affect, you know, society and cities and all from, from bottom to top. It's, it's wild. New York's fascinating because I, so I, I went to undergrad at SUNY Binghamton, which is just over the Pennsylvania border in upstate New York. Now, mind you, for those that don't know, upstate New York is literally everything north of New York City, which is pretty much the entire landmass of the state, which was an interesting thing to learn in college. Um, most of the upstaters, they're not super liberal. Like they like their guns and stuff. No. And I can remember- uh, California, not to interrupt, is exactly the yes. same way. I mean, I, I came from central California and then all my cousins in like kind of NorCal. I mean, that's- I, I can say it like my cousins and me, we're all like white trash dudes and they all carry guns and drink Budweiser. And then it's really the coastal cities that tend to, you know, unfortunately vote for the state. And I don't necessarily, maybe you can hit on that later, but it's, you know, LA gets to define what all California does. I think that's population density. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, but I can remember very, very clearly in college going through the NFA process for my first SBR and uh, one of my friends in college it took him longer to get his per uh, pistol purchase permit than it did for me to get back my form one from the ATF back wow, then. Wow, wow. Yeah. So uh, it definitely the, the dynamics within states are very interesting to, to watch. Um, so it, to, to go back to, to Mike's question. So those are things we're looking at challenging. Um, but you need a plaintiff. You need someone we to need step plaintiff. forward. And, yeah. You know. And so one of the ways that we, uh, we, we put it out on social media. So if you're, if you're following us on social media, it's a great place to see it. Um, you know, I guess I'll plug it now. Uh, please, but, please. You know, so on Instagram, it's at gun policy, same thing on Twitter, uh, Facebook as well, or you can search firearms policy coalition. Um, the other avenue where you can get in touch with us, if you're interested in being a plaintiff in some of these lawsuits is we, we do a, uh, what we call a civil rights violations hotline. So if you go to two a hotline.com, you can report what your civil rights violation is, or if you're responding to a plaintiff request, uh, we do monitor that frequently and we look through. So if you bring up something that maybe isn't what we're actively looking for, but it has, uh, there, there is a public interest in, in that uh, specific issue that's broad-based, um, you know, we may give you a call and say, hey, tell us more about it. And there have been cases we have brought based on people coming into the hotline saying like, hey, I've got this problem. And we take a closer look and go, hey, that's a really good vehicle to get this kind of relief for these people. Right. Um, right. So that's, yeah, that is something. That's not to be confused with operator hotline where people call <laughs> me and I talk about red dots and, and you know, actions on objective. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, maybe Mike, maybe this is a question for you or, or Adam, but why have we not, at least on on this side, established like statistics that articulate and represent firearm deaths in America? Because it's so miscited throughout, as we all know. But why isn't there like a a resource? And I don't know what agency would run it or or, or, or civilian sector, but defining you know law abiding citizens that 
save lives or their own lives with firearms, right? Because it's- Well, there was. It was called the CDC. Yeah. You know, the CDC published the data showing that that, uh, gun ownership probably saved a couple million lives a year. And then they buried those statistics. Exactly. But there's no open resource now to like, at least in my mind, I might just be, you know, inept, but to point to that and be like, and I'm not justifying any human loss of life, but like it, it makes sense. What was right? It? It's it's yeah. defined by statistics, and that's why I, I I get so confused and why I've talked so much shit to anti two A guys over the years is because it all seems emotionally based. I mean, my 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 final capstone project for my bachelor's degree was all on gun control, and my my even liberal teacher was like, "Wow, I didn't see that." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm citing like statistics and facts that have been proven." And but everybody just washes that down and wants to focus on hyperbole and, and and incorrect headlines that are swaying emotional. I mean, how do you not feel absolutely terrible when a tragic tragedy happens? It's the it's the worst thing ever. And and I and I think that's the starting point where like it's the mo- that's why I carry a gun everywhere is to save my own life and or other people's. And yeah, I, it, I guess I was kind of like a tangent, but it, it's interesting that we don't have like citable data that supports, you know, the claim when people are like, oh, you guys just want more guns to fix the gun problem. I'm like, the gun, it's not, right. you're addressing yeah. the wrong issue. Yeah, I read the David Hogg tweets and, and they say it in a very smug, condescending yeah. way, like, oh, yeah, more guns are going to make us safer. And he, he used some analogy about sharks or some stupid shit. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> clearly somebody who's very disconnected from, from truth. And unfortunately, uh, I don't think there is a very good like repository of this kind of citable information. That's but the information is absolutely there. We do have the data. What was interesting about the CDC thing I brought up earlier is that simply the uh, the presence of a gun was demonstrated to save lives. Right, you didn't have to actually shoot the assailant. That sometimes presenting the weapon was enough to thwart some kind of attack. Right, and it, it turned out to be I think a couple of million uses of defensive weapons per year. Uh, that that was one of them. Uh, the other thing too is that most of your people who are your gun control advocates, what I've seen just in my own uh, discussions and travels and battles and whatnot, are really well intentioned, very poorly informed people. You know, they're 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 not uh, they're not evil people. They're just very poorly informed. I'm talking about the the bulk of people who might lean uh, towards some sort of gun control uh, advocacy. But as far as your real champions of gun control, I mean, you're talking about a very small group of highly funded people from like Michael Bloomberg and stuff, right? Yeah. Right. But I think we're winning the fight culturally. Wouldn't you say, don't you think that gun control is less popular today than it's probably ever been? I, I saw some recent um, surveys and studies on things like, you know, assault weapons bans and, and whatnot. And it seems like public opinion is is split or trending towards um, not favoring those. I would, it, it's, it's close and I don't know what it's been in the past. So you'll have to forgive me. I don't have, I don't, you know, but I, I think generally speaking, when you're looking, especially generationally, a lot of the younger um, audience and, and, um, you know, 18 to 20, perhaps even younger, like they're not super into gun control at all, actually. They're not super into government control. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I think, I think Matt hit it right on the head um, earlier when you, when you said it's emotional. And I, I think that's the biggest disconnect. You can, you can present as many statistics as you want to somebody, but if they're, if they're acting based on an emotional impulse and not a logical one, it's not going to, it's not going to well, be meaningful to them. And, and that's something like I, I, I 
I don't know how to phrase this correctly, but when a politician stands on a stage holding an SBR and goes, this is a ghost gun. You can buy it anywhere and no one knows you have it. It shoots laser-guided death bullets. I'll take eight. And it's going to... <laughs> no, trust me. I, but, in production but I, now. <laughs> there, should be, there should be like a legal consequence for fucking lying your ass off to the public. Like there has to be a legal consequence because because then there's, if there's no consequence, it's a whole reason. We'd have no politicians left, by the way. I know, right? But it's <laughs> like, I guess it's all a lie, right? Yeah, well, that's you'd have fair to have point. A, you'd but. have to have a media interest to hold people accountable. Like, you know, you, like the way we're fact-checked, you know, whenever, yeah. uh, you know, you say something about the uh, the efficacy of a mask or you say, hey, this thing yeah. might have gotten out of a lab. You know, if you say something in the way we're fact-checked, uh, perhaps, you know, if there That's was the new some- shirt, fact check <laughs> politicians like they fact checked us. You know, I see it on Instagram, you know, you start typing in COVID and it's like, ding, 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 ding. oh, yeah. I mean, in, in, a lot of a lot of the gun stuff that I've posted has been fact checked, you know, yeah. and, and it's it's erroneous and it's wrong. Uh, but our biggest hurdle, I think, is discourse is so lopsided right now. There's there's such a monopoly on information uh, in tech companies and stuff to where it's very hard to get those that message and that statistics out. It's very hard to have uh, an objective conversation because it is so weighted. That's where I really hope Elon buys Twitter. <laughs> well, he's trying to pull out yeah. now, and then Twitter's trying to force him to buy. It's They're a, su- it's suing a him, weird world. We yeah, well, I mean, you're buying a fucking, uh, you know, a, you're, you're buying a... 30% bots or something, right? I mean, it's not exactly the, you know, they're selling him something. Uh, yeah, it's, not, like a, it's a fake Rolex. Wait, this says Romex on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you well, know. Hopefully in this court case, because I think they are going to try to sue him, right? Yeah. But they're going to have to maybe under discovery disclose how much of Twitter is a bot, which I would have to, I bet you is over 25%, dude. Yeah, well, Twitter's indications uh, are... Uh, you know, if that's if that's what your measure of society is, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Some, but I'm talking about the discourse. Though. Oh, yeah. I'm saying the ability to get information out there and to have these kind of conversations that it is that it's not so uh, weighted. Like if you know, the next time there's a debate panel or you have two talking heads on TV, they're both given equal amount of time, and when one's not, you know, shunned or seen as a as a you know yeah, a bad but, but, person. Yeah, but we all know that. I think that we've seen that over the years. It's like a cat in a bathtub, right? Once you come, you know, with a rational viewpoint, you're articulated, you have data that supports your claims, then it's you terrorist kill it. You know, you ever throw a cat in a bathtub, it, it does anything to get out. And I think that that's the unfair, you know, conversation that happens is so quickly people like want to think, oh, well, then you want to see innocent lives die. I'm like, the whole intention of carrying a firearm is to save innocent lives. So listen, we're on the same team. I know your objective is to save innocent lives. I want to save innocent lives. You're just going about the wrong way because your way doesn't work, right? And then, but how do you, it's like nearly impossible to convince people to sit down and have those conversations because we live in an impulse society that, you know, we can't, we, our attention span is six seconds and anything becomes critical thought. You run from it because, oh no, that's hard. Back to TikTok. Right. No, I I think you're, you're, I think you're absolutely right with that. And I I think having those uh, more difficult conversations, it requires people to reevaluate or look at their own positions through a different lens and um, either the emotional investment's too high or they just don't want to even go through the process. Well, you're just wrong. Yeah. Am I though? Am I? Yeah. But there's, yeah, I've I've actually read some research on this to where people, even when presented with truly, truly compelling information that's counter to your own belief, uh, people tend to double down 
yeah. on the bad belief. They they don't. Uh, I think one of the measures of intelligence is how quickly you can change your mind when presented with better better information. And unfortunately, you don't really see a lot of that. Yeah. Even when presented with very compelling information, they they dig in even deeper, which I'm sure is true on all sides, right? But mm-hmm. that just happens to be how. It works, you know. So as of right now, I think that can change. I think with you more wish, widespread wish, discourse, it could change. Thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me, let me, yeah, please. Let me drive the bus here for a moment. Back, yeah, back come to, on. <laughs> back, yeah. back to FPC, but it goes to the discourse thing you're talking about, right? So um, FPC, part of what has been um, happening and what we're really trying to do is lead that thought process to get people to be more liberty-minded. The, the, whole, the whole purpose of FPC is to create a world of maximal human liberty. And this idea of liberty is lost upon a lot of people. They, you know, everybody talks liberty about Liberty should be bipartisan. There should be like, like po- fuck off all politics. Sorry to interrupt, like liberty is liberty. Yeah. And that's the basis of the founding of this country is, is this idea of liberty. And, and as time goes on, you, you see politicians from both sides of the aisle infringing on it in their own way. You know, every, I, I'm, and, and to just be very clear, FPC is anti-partisan. It's not, not bipartisan. It's, it's anti-partisan. Sure. There's no, and, and so you see it from both sides and you have people going, rah, rah, my guy. Well, like your guy, your guy is screwing you just, in a different way. It might not, you know, and so one of the things we're trying to do is really lead that public thought and discourse into, you know, this is why these things are bad. And I guess that's a good segue to talk about FPC in a, in a different manner. So everybody knows FPC, right? What a lot of people don't know is the, the foundation side of FPC um, and what the difference is. So FPC is like the people's house. It's the, the, we're out there, we're talking to you and stuff. The foundation side of things is where all that legal work is going to be happening now. So we're working on building the law center. We started years ago by bringing certain people on board. We're shifting that program over to the foundation. Um, we're bringing things more in house. Uh, so there's right now, Joe Greenlee, he's our director of constitutional studies. A lot of that original research uh, that is going to be useful under this new the Supreme Court clarifying that, hey, we told you 13 years ago, this is the test. He's doing a lot of that stuff, and that's all going to become very important. Uh, so the 18 to 20-year-old stuff, for instance, because we were talking about that earlier, um, he went back and looked at what was the understanding of the right at the time of adoption and found that, like, well, 18 to 20-year-olds were, were like required to bear arms. Right? You're an old man at 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's like 14 year olds fighting in the civil war, dude. <laughs> um, you know, other interesting things like the right to train. That's another one that's uh, yeah. going to be a, an area where, um, you know, these lawsuits trying to shut down ranges and stuff. Well, when you talk about the second amendment, you have, you know, courts refer to the, the core aspect of it. And I really hate talking about it in that context, but if, if you're going to say there's a core, right, well, then there's other ancillary portions that are directly related to that, that being the right to train. What good is, what good is keeping and bearing an arm if you have no ability to, to practice with it, right. To maintain. So he went back and looked at this. That's uh, more dangerous, by the way. Like people need trigger time. They need professional development. They need to learn how to stow their weapon. They need to know how to save. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're, it's just crazy. Cause like, I hate it's like, it goes in line with like the defund the police movement. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, you continue. No, you're, you're (laughs) I just can't like, I'm not the smartest guy, but it's so hard for me to wrap my head around people that, like they want to shut down ranges for, 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 for what? What? Well, because they decided to move in next door and then they don't oh. like the, the noise. You know, well, in, in, in Virginia, when I went to Lobby Day a couple of years ago, one of, the poly, one of the things they were proposing was like two or three 
people could not gather to take a yep. class. Yep. And I mean, Mal- I think it, Mal- uh, insurgency stuff. Right, yeah. And it was malicious stuff. I'm talking like, you're, you're talking about like a carbine course mm-hmm. would have been, you know, my armorer's course would have been illegal yeah. in Virginia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the right to train and, and tracing like the historical roots of that was something he did. The right to home build is another one. So looking at his, through history, was there any regulation on people manufacturing their own arms? You know, it goes directly to the 80% stuff um, and things like that. So the, the, the foundation is where the law center and the representation is going to come from in the future. And we're working on funding the next phase of that. So we're, we just hired uh, Cody Wisniewski as a attorney. He comes from another organization where he has a lot of experience in the APA world. Uh, so APA, uh, the Administrative Procedures Act, ATF, it's all right up in that alley. Um, and he's an individual who um, has a, you know, burning desire to partake and, and uh, really move the needle in Second Amendment litigation. Um, so he was a hire we just made. And there's others that we're looking to follow to really kind of shape the legal strategy, drive more things in-house and really uh, take things to the next level. Um, and, and we're really excited about that. So I, I, I bring it up just because I think a lot of people, they only know about FPC, the C4, and they don't know about the this other side that exists. It's, and it's a separate organization, just to be very clear. So yeah, while, while we're getting that out of the way. Yeah, the um, foundation. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Um, what is what do you guys think about uh, was it HR eighteen zero eight the assault weapons ban that's kind of get pushed through? I'll be candid with you. I haven't been following it, but okay. I'd be happy to talk to the policy guys and get you an answer on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd love to see because I mean, there you've been you read up on that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty gnarly. I, I mean, I, like, I don't. It's gnarly. It. It's it's way yeah, it's way far. It's very far reaching. It's uh, it's more significant than the proposal, the actual successful pass in '94. Okay, I I just don't think the public legitimately has an appetite for that anymore. I, 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 I could be completely wrong. I might be eating my words here in a couple of weeks, but I, I just don't, you know, think the public, but that doesn't mean that we, we don't have to take the fight to them. Like right now we have to be more, more aggressive in, in fighting, right? If, if we do feel like we have them on the ropes, now's the time to try to finish them off. Well, you know, now's when you push. And dude. so, yeah, I mean, so we, we are doing that by the way. And you, you know, assault weapons ban is a really good one, right? So, um, we had a case in California. It was called Miller versus Becerra. It's now Miller versus Bonta because no. Becerra is now, you know, in the Biden administration. Um, and that was a case we won uh, after a trial. It's the only it's the only post trial victory in the United States against an assault weapons ban. The only one um, that's currently up at the Ninth Circuit. Uh, that we're motions to unstay the case uh, are we're waiting for those to be decided. So right now it's just sitting kind of in limbo. It was put to the side, waiting on the Supreme Court decision that we were talking about earlier. Um, and we'll see what happens with that. We just filed a lawsuit in New York against the SAFE Act. We just filed a lawsuit against New Jersey against their assault weapons ban. Um, there are a couple of cases that we have filed or are going to be filing challenging magazine capacity restrictions. So all of these things are things that we've looked at and decided like, yes, now is a good time or alternatively it was part of our strategic litigation plan for, you know, common arms and common use. Uh, there's only, I think there's five states that add some form of an assault weapons ban off the top of my head. Um, and so, you know, like while the rest of the the country has access to these arms, it's not fair to restrict these um, rosters, you know, California roster, uh, the Massachusetts roster, or other challenges that we have going on too. So there's, there's plenty of stuff um, and I'm sure it'll 
I'm sure it's just going to continue uh, <laughs> because there's no shortage of things to to challenge. Well, I just want to say that for people that are watching this and obviously they care about this topic, I mean, now is really the time. If we, I, I do believe we have a little bit of momentum. We meaning like people that are advocates for gun, for Second Amendment, right? I think there's a little bit of momentum right now. Now is the time to push to really kind of donate some money or get involved or find out how else you can contribute that if not now, certainly not while our back's against the wall. You know, let's let's attack. For once, let's fucking attack. Instead of trying to defend, we're on the attack. Let's let's fund this thing. Let's do it, you know? Was it offense is the best defense? No, dude, I agree. I mean, aren't you tired of playing defense, dude? Always begging for the little morsel of shit we have yeah. left. Like, no, let's go fucking well, and attack. The, and the problem, too, is like, I think most of us know it's, it's I mean, they've been a lot more um, blunt, with, especially with what they're doing now. But it's been like a slow chisel away, right? Because you can't just come out and say, hey, no one can own an AR. But what you start to do is you start to layer on and layer on and then it's ounces make pounds and then the fucking camel's back breaks. And that and that's the problem. A lot of people, when, at least in my, this is just my subjective opinion, but when they're like, well, we have to make compromise. I hear that all the time. Like, what? Why? Why? We we. It's been that there was compromise. There's been compromise what throughout. Getting returned, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> and, and there's no compromise on the other side. So why are are you, especially some people in our community, even just like, well, give them a little bit, they'll happy. No, you give a kid sugar, it wants more sugar. You tell the kid you're eating fucking your vegetables, like that, straight up. Like I don't, and I, and I just I hope that, and and this is my belief is that sometimes the gun community, it's like kind of like goes against itself. And it's like, we have to stand united around things like FPC and fund them and support them. I don't care if you have a little disagreement with something, but there's real, real consequences if with inaction. And that's why I wanted to bring you on, talk about FC, FPC in more of a public light. So hopefully some of the people that haven't heard about the organization can go out there and support um, and, and at least follow and educate themselves. Because I learned a lot already just between you and Mike on the show. So thank you for that. Yeah, my, my pleasure. I mean, I, I think as to your point of compromise, compromise happened already. Yeah. That was when they passed the Bill of Rights. It was, no, I, I mean, they, they considered this. These were all things that they had considered at the time that they adopted the, the Bill of Rights. And they said that, you know, these are things that we're willing to live with as, as um, you know, a country. And so that, that compromise already happened. Ever since then, it's been an infringement. And what we're working to do is actively working to restore. Um, I, and I use restore very, uh, you know, very consciously. A lot of people say, well, we defend the Second Amendment. Well, defend means that, you know, you're just constantly trying to prevent the next infringement. We're actively looking to restore it back to that on yes. historical understanding of the right. Powerful statement right there. No, it, it is, and it's accurate. So for anybody that's familiar with Sons Liberty, we're, we're extremely outspoken as a gun manufacturer. We're, you know, we're out there doing this stuff. We I, I travel to the different states to try. If we're supporting uh, these guys, if we if we believe in them, I mean, that, that's I think that says a lot. We're, we're pretty staunch, and these guys are our heroes, man. So, And also, I'll just shamelessly plug, if you need one of the dopest ARs ever, uh, Mike, Mike's got you. I'm uh, going to buy mine this afternoon. Been waiting for a while for it. He, he put me on the waiting list, guys. How messed up is that? He's like, Mike, hey, can I buy a gun? He's like, yeah, I'll be ready in 18 months. I'm like, oh, thanks. I got the, I make it. Is that the bro timeline? He's jeez Louise, man. No, it was great, and um, thank you guys. You were I didn't think you were down there, but I was... Um, invited down to the San Diego little charity banquet mm -hmm. thing. That was fun time. 
I got a new Glock, but I think it's probably California legal. I don't even know what they do down there. So, but. <laughs> okay, it's California a bolt action legal. Glock. It's a bolt action <laughs> Glock. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, I think you kind of said everywhere they can find you. But oh, I can give that again if you. Yeah, want. yeah. Would be, please, please. Sure. I mean, I, I truly believe in what you guys are doing. Um, and 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 thank you. And I hope to work with you guys in the future a lot more. So. Yeah. Well, we would we would certainly enjoy that, and we appreciate everything you know you're doing to help spread awareness. So. Um, as far as the coalition side of things, the C4 uh, gun policy on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you can Google Firearms Policy Coalition. The website's uh, firearmspolicy. Or, uh, sorry, <laughs> firearmspolicy.org. Uh, if you're interested in seeing any of the legal stuff we're doing, FPC Law, so Frank Papa Charlie Law.org, it'll bring you to our case page. You can go, you can click on the cases, you can see the filing. So you can actually see the work we're doing that we're not just you know, telling you we're doing stuff. You can go check. Um, The foundation is uh, fpcactionfoundation.org. Like I said, separate entity. That's where the law center is headed. And also for people, a lot of that, that that is a nonprofit on that side of the house. It's a C3. So if if certain people, you know, tax liability, however they do it, just consider that as one of your... um, one of your things you can support. Yep. And, you know, if, if anybody has any additional questions or wants information about the law center, stuff like that, you know, we're obviously happy to, to talk to people. Slick. All right. Last one for us today, because why is it that no one talks about mental health? I mean, we do, but. It's probably because it's a really complicated problem. You know, I think people like very simple solutions, very simple sound bites. And if you talk about mental health, that there's a, that's just a, that's a real problem and it requires some kind of very nuanced and complicated solution. And that's very hard for people that are intellectually lazy. That's your answer. <laughs> I, I, I think that's actually, I'm not sure I could give a better answer yeah. than that. I think. Um, I was prepping something in my mind. I don't want to say it anymore. <laughs> well, there's, there's no easy answer to the, to the problem. And I think, um, you know, if you're, if you're asking the question in terms of specifically firearms related stuff, well, just ban guns is a far simpler solution than, well, now we actually have to delve into people's psyches and and try to understand complex right. things as to why people are the way they are and whether there's treatments and how do we do X, Y, Z. Maybe Mike and I can get like, you know, just a pieces of paper and we go ban guns, bad guy get guns, good guy don't, you know, <laughs> like maybe that's what we do. Yeah. And I, it's like also too, is like, I'm just ranting at this point, but like, you know, criminals find a way. It, 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 we've seen it even in places like um, the Japanese prime minister just got, you know, murdered. This homemade with shotgun. With a homemade yeah. electric shotgun. I mean, evil finds a way. And the only way to thwart evil is with violent goodness. I truly believe that. I've been to war, so I can say that. Um, and I wish a lot more people were willing to accept that there is evil in the world. There's a lot of it. And we have to stand together unified and protect ourselves and our families and be present with their families. Cause Hey, that's another thing with mental health right there for me. It's like, Absolutely. where the fuck are the parents? You know? No, yeah. my God. Anyways. Well, thank you so much uh, again. Thank you, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I love, love coming and hanging out with you guys. All right. Can you give me a tour of the shop after this? Oh, dude, let's go. I've never been there. But. Let's go. <laughs> <Didn't want to. laughs> All right. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks. FC. Thanks. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!